ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then carrying on with the fiqh lessons we've been doing Previously we covered the chapter regarding the different types of water We also covered the chapter regarding the vessels and utensils That you would store your water in to make your purification And today we come to the chapter regarding the etiquettes of using the toilet, the etiquettes of leaving oneself, because the religion of Islam, it is a comprehensive religion, and it gives us guidance in all of our affairs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum Wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati Wa raditu lakum al-islama deena Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum Allah said on this day I have completed for you Your religion The religion has been completed and everything we need to know to bring us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we've been taught and everything we need to know to protect ourselves from the hellfire we've been taught and it is a comprehensive religion and it teaches us all that we need to know from what benefits us including the etiquettes of purification and specifically the usage of the toilet as we say these days when one must relieve themselves answering the call of nature then what is the sunnah regarding that what are the ahadith that we know about regarding how a Muslim is supposed to use the toilet. So that is what we are going to cover today, insha'Allah ta'ala, in the chapter that we have arrived at, Babul Istinja' wa Adabi Qadha'il Hajjah. The chapter regarding Al-Istinja', which we'll come to now, and the etiquettes of relieving oneself. Anybody want to read? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Allahumma ghafir lana wa li ustazina wa li al-Muslimin Qali Imam al-Sa'adi fi kitabih manajju salikin يستحب إذا دخل الخلاء أن يقدم رجله اليسرى ويقول بسلاه اللهم إني أعوذ بك من الخبث والخبائث 
وإذا خرج منه قدم اليمنى قدم اليمنى وقال فرانك الحمد لله الذي أذب عن عن الأذى وعفاني ويعتمد في جلوسه على رجله على رجله اليسرى وينصب اليمنى ويستثر بحائط أو غيره ويبعد إن كان في الفضاء ولا يحل له أن يقضي حاجته في طريق أو محل جلوس للناس أو تحت الأسجار المثمرة أو في محل يؤذي به الناس ولا يستقبل القبلة ولا يستدبرها حال قضاء الحاجة لقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أتيتم الغائضة فلا يستقبل القبلة غائض ولا بول ولا تدبرها ولكن شرقوا أو غربوا متفق عليه فإذا قضى حاجته استجمر بثلاثة أحجار ونحوها تنقي المحل ثم استنجب الماء ويكفي الإخصار على أحدهما ولا يستجمر بالروث والعظام كما نهى عنه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كذلك كل ما له حرمة So we, we have the chapter Babul Istinja'i wa Adabu Qadail Hajah. The first thing the author mentions here in this chapter is Yustahabu Ida Dahal al Khala An Yukadima Rijlahul Yusra Wayakulu Bismillah. These are the general notes to begin with what the Shaykh mentions that it is recommended when you enter al-khala means the area where you are going to relieve yourself so here typically that will mean the toilet when you enter the bathroom or any area where you're going to go and conceal yourself and answer the call of nature then you are supposed to an yuqaddima rijlahu al-yusra Walk into that bathroom or that place with your left foot. Walk into it with your left foot. And you say, prior to walking in, you say, Bismillah. And then, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubthi. والخبائث ومن الخبوث والخبائث. So when you enter the bathroom, you enter with your left foot, and you say prior to entering, before you actually enter, as you are about to enter, you say first, بسم الله. And then, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika, O Allah, I seek refuge in you from al-khubthi wal-khaba'if, or al-khubuthi 
wal khaba'ith. I seek refuge in you, in you, O Allah, from the evil or from the shayateen of the males and the females, from the evil and the evil actions, or the shayateen of the male and the females, the jinn. I seek refuge in you, O Allah, from them. You say that before entering into the toilet, the bathroom. وَإِذَا خَرَجَ مِنْهُ And when you leave, when you're finished and you're exiting, قَدَّمَ الْيُمْنَى You exit with your right foot. وَقَالَ غُفْرَانَكَ And you say, غُفْرَانَكَ Which is like saying, أَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهِ That I seek your forgiveness, O Allah. And then you say, Alhamdulillah alladhi aafani, or adhaba anni al-adha wa aafani. That all praise is due to Allah, the one who took away from me the harm and gave me the good health. وَيَعْتَمِدُ فِي جُلُوسِهِ عَلَى رِجْلِهِ الْيُسْرَى وَيَنْصِبُ الْيُمْنَى And when you are in the toilet and you're relieving yourself, then, and this of course is in reference to the flat toilets that are in the, the hole in the ground, that you put your body weight, when you're crouching, you put your body weight onto your left foot and you prop yourself up with the right foot. When crouching, the body weight is on the left foot. Uh, you are sitting on the left foot and propping yourself up with the right foot. And you are to conceal yourself behind a wall or other than that. And if it's in some open space, like you're in some desert, some open plain of land, there's nowhere to conceal yourself, then you're supposed to go far away at a distance where people can't see you what's going on. And it is not permissible for you to answer the call of nature to relieve yourself in certain places. One of them, tariqin. On the roadway, the pathway, the normal walkway of the people, where the people walk their pathway, the footpath, the normal road that they go on, you do not relieve yourself on that type of road. Number two, neither are you allowed to relieve yourself in a place where people sit. There could be certain areas around the village where it's known the people congregate and they sit there. Then you do not use such a congregational place where people sit as a toilet to relieve yourself in that area. Neither are you allowed to relieve yourself under trees that bear fruit. 
trees that bear fruit, then it's not suitable to leave yourself under such trees. They are trees that need to grow and the people have to go there and take the fruits. So you do, so you do not leave yourselves under the tree where the fruits grow upon it. أو في محل يؤذي به الناس or any place where you are going to harm the people. ولا يستقبل القبلة أو يستدبرها حال قضاء الحاجة. Neither are you supposed to be facing the direction of the qibla. Nor is your back supposed to be in the direction of the Qibla when relieving yourself. Neither are you facing the direction of the Qibla, nor are you sitting with your back to the Qibla when relieving yourself. So you should be towards either one side or the other side in your direction that you are facing when sitting to relieve yourself. And that is due to the statement of the Prophet sallallahu that when you come to answer the call of nature then do not face the qibla when urinating or defecating and do not turn 180 with your back towards it when relieving yourself but rather face eastward or westward meaning to that side or to that side not in the direction of the qibla neither with your back to the direction of the qibla this is all notes yet we'll come to all the explanation in a minute so when you then relieved yourself you need to clean yourself then you clean yourself with three stones or similar to three stones. Meaning if you don't find stones, then something else that covers it. And you purify that area, the private area. Then you do the istinja, cleaning that area with water. And it is enough, it's allowed to do just one of the two, two, the dry cleaning or the wet cleaning. And you are not supposed to do the dry cleaning with dried dung or bones. As the Prophet forbade from that. وَكَذَلِكَ كُلُّ مَا لَهُ And likewise, anything else that is in any way uh, prohibited for you to use, then you do not use it for purification. That's the chapter. That's all of the notes in the chapter. Now we'll start mentioning some of the details of all of those notes. Those notes give you a general idea of the rulings regarding the etiquettes of using the bathroom. So now then to come to some of the specifics regarding it. Sheikh Al-Fawzan mentions briefly before getting into the specifics that it is from the honor of mankind 
Allah has honored mankind and given them distinction over the animals by giving us these rulings and these tickets of cleansing ourselves after answering the call of nature. And he says, it is only the ignorant ones who will tell you that this is useless to learn. The, the ignorant ones, they are the ones who will say, this is useless, what are you studying? You're in the mosque, in the house of Allah, studying how to go to the toilet. The ignorant ones will make comments like that. The juhal. في هذا الذي ذكرناه رد على بعض الجهال الذين يستنكفون من ذكر هذه الآداب ودراستها وتبيينها ويظنون أن هذا من الأشياء التافهة أو الأشياء التي يترفع عن ذكرها The ignorant people who don't understand they will think and they will say that it's not befitting for you to be talking about these topics about how to use the toilet, about how to clean yourself afterwards. The shaykh says, they, the ignorant ones who do not understand the sunnah, maybe they'll think that you are doing something that is not befitting, talking about something, doing a lesson on something that isn't befitting. But rather the shaykh says, هَذَا مِنْ جَهْلِهِمْ بِدِينِ This is from their ignorance regarding the religion of Allah. It is from their ignorance regarding the religion of Allah. And from their ignorance regarding the rulings of the Sharia. For them they think this is something of a burden that we have to sit here and learn how to go to the toilet. The Shaykh says the ignorant ones, they think this is something of a burden and something which is unnecessary. And that's why you see some of them even taking it to the level, that they even criticize the scholars for doing that, for teaching the chapters of purification, for teaching the chapters regarding answering the call of nature using the toilet, they even criticize the scholars for doing that. And they say, And this is a common uh, statement you hear from those who speak ill and criticize the scholars, the Salafi scholars. They criticize them by saying, these scholars, they are scholars of the periods, the periods that women have. They said these are scholars of women's periods and women's postnatal bleeding. What they mean by that is that these scholars, all they talk about is purification and water and wudu and period blood. And how do you know what the period is and the rulings of the period? They are trying to belittle them in saying that the scholars don't know about the real affairs that we need to be talking about. The real affairs of the world which they mean by the politics and the rulers and all of those affairs. They say these scholars are just scholars of women's pads, scholars of periods and postnatal bleeding. So the shaykh says this is from their ignorance to claim this of the scholars. This is sunnah, revelation 
a hadith about the etiquettes of how to use the toilet, etiquettes of how to relieve yourself and clean yourself. So from those etiquettes, you've seen the notes there, we'll mention a few points regarding those notes. One of them to begin with is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik. Where he mentioned, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا دخل الخلاء وضع خاتمه. That when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to go into the, as we say now, the bathroom, the toilet, the area where you're going to relieve yourself, he would remove his ring first. Because what was written on the ring of the Prophet ﷺ? Muhammadun Rasulun Allah. Those three words, Allah, Rasul, Muhammad. Those three words were written on the ring of the Prophet ﷺ. So the name of Allah was on the ring. Allah, Rasul, Muhammad. Like that. So now, what do we learn from this etiquette of the Prophet ﷺ? What is the benefit from this narration that when the messenger used to go into the, we'll say toilet and bathroom for the sake of this lesson, when he used to go into the toilet and bathroom area, he would remove his ring with the name of Allah on it. The fiqh, the ruling that we learn from this therefore is, that when you enter the bathroom, you should not take anything in with you that is muhtaram. Anything that has the remembrance of Allah on it. Anything from the dhikr, the remembrance, Quran, hadith. These kinds of affairs where you have the name of Allah being mentioned and the remembrance of Allah being mentioned those types of books and papers and rings and whatever it might be that are respected, respectable and honorable, then they should not be taken into the bathroom with you. And that is by consensus of the scholars, by consensus of the scholars, that you do not take into the bathroom with you anything that has the name of Allah on it, anything that has the remembrance of Allah on it, then it is makruh, disliked for a person to take that in with him to the bathroom. This is one of the reasons, and there are many other reasons, and it's a different topic in reality, but this is one of the reasons that the scholars have mentioned it is not suitable to put these necklaces around kids with what inside of them, as people claim it is purely Qur'an, they say. But one of the problems with that is, these kids are going to be wearing that necklace with these ayat, as people say they are, and they're going to take those ayat when they go into the toilet as well. So it is not befitting, it is makruh, for you to take anything with the name of Allah, or the remembrance of Allah, into the bathroom with you. And it is mustahab therefore, what is required is that you remove that and leave it outside. The only exception the scholars have mentioned is, is if there is some necessity 
Like for those of you who've been to Umrah or Hajj, then you know the bath, the toilet system in the Haramain, cubicles, long rows of cubicles. And perhaps a person fears that if he leaves the Mus'haf, like on the wall on the outside or somewhere, or even at the entrance somewhere, he fears that with all of the people there, maybe somebody will just think it's a free Mus'haf or something, pick it up and take it. Or maybe even worse, somebody actually intentionally steals it. So if you fear that your item, your mushaf or your ring or whatever it might be, that has something on it from the remembrance of Allah, that by leaving it outside, there's a fear upon it. That maybe somebody may steal it or some other affair may occur to it. Then it's permissible for you to take it in with you, but to conceal it and cover it up. Not just put it there, exposed and open, conceal it inside pocket somewhere, concealed and hidden away, and then enter into the uh, bathroom or toilet. So that is what we learn from this first hadith, that it is disliked for a person to enter the bathroom, the toilet area, with anything with the remembrance of Allah on it. And by extension, we're going to get to it as well in the hadith. When you're in there, you should not be saying anything of the remembrance of Allah. You do not recite the Qur'an or other affairs with the remembrance of Allah whilst you're using the toilet in the bathroom. Then we also have a hadith which was in the notes there. كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا دَخَلَ الْخَلَاءِ قال اللهم إني أعوذ بك من الخبث أو الخبث والخبائث. In this hadith, which is in al-Bukhari and Muslim, it mentions when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would enter the bathroom or toilet. In those days, of course, in secluded areas and hidden areas and lower down areas where nobody could see you. When he would enter into that area to answer the call of nature, he would say, and the meaning of when he would enter into it, i.e. just before actually entering into it. The hadith says when he would enter into it. That doesn't mean you make the dua after you have entered into it. The narration here, the Arabic language here, it includes the meaning of just before entering, just prior to entering. And there are many examples of that, like in the Quran, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ When you stand to pray, then the Quran tells you to make your wudu. Does that mean when you come to the mosque, now you're standing up, you're about to pray, then you have to go make the wudu? Rather you do it prior to coming and standing for the prayer. Another example for إِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ That when you recite the Qur'an, then seek refuge in Allah from the shaitan. Do you do that? When you start reciting, you recite a bit, then you do that? Or do you do it prior to beginning the recitation? So the Arabic language includes that meaning. So here when it says, when the messenger entered into the, the bathroom toilet area, that he would recite this, i.e. prior to entering in. 
He would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from al-khubthi. That's one way to say it. Or al-khubuthi is the other way to say it. Wal-khaba'if. Meaning that I seek refuge in you from al-khubth. With a sukun meaning evil. I seek refuge from you from all that is of evil, from any affair of evil, when entering into the bathroom area, the toilet area. And if you say al fi, then that is the male jinn or shayateen of the jinn, al khubuth And then Al-Khaba'if is either the feminine of the shayateen of the jinn or it is of the evil uh, actions any type of evil action occurring to an individual or a person so you make this dua prior to entering into the toilet Allah bismillah in some narrations it mentions bismillah as well to seek isti'ana in Allah help and assistance from Allah in entering into this area where it is typical for that type of area of uncleanliness for the shayateen of the jinn and the evil to reside. So you seek refuge in Allah prior to entering into that area. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the shayateen of the males and the females, or from the evil and the evil actions and all of the evil there may be. Seek refuge in Allah in that, making that dua prior to entering into the bathroom. So that is learned from this narration that was in the notes, that a person should make that dua before entering into the bathroom. Then we have also the narration. كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَدْخُلُ الْخَلَاءِ فأحمل أنا وغلام النحو إداوة من ماء وعنزه فيستنجي بالماء. This narration mentions Anas رضي الله عنه Anas ibn Malik. He mentions that the messenger would go into the the toilet area, and I and another boy would carry a a vessel of water and a stick or like a a spear, and then afterwards he would make istinja with the water. So here it's going to briefly mention regarding al-istinja. Al-istinja is washing yourself, the private area, washing that with water. Al-istinja is washing it with water. Istijmar, the other word, istijmar, is washing oneself or cleaning oneself with the rocks or the stones, the dry cleaning, whereas istinja is cleaning that area with water. So what is required in the sunnah? is that when a person uses the toilet afterwards, you must clean that area. And you must not leave it 
with the uh, remnants of you having answered the call of nature, that uncleanliness that remains in that area cannot be left just there. When you finish, it must be cleaned, it must be washed, and the istinja is what is being mentioned here in terms of washing it. The area is washed with water. And then it also mentions the method of how a person washes that area. That the area is washed with your left hand. A person is supposed to wash that area with his left hand, not with the right hand. And that is generally because it is mentioned in the Sunnah that the Prophet ﷺ would love to do the good things with his right hand and the affairs of cleaning and purification with the left hand. So it's mentioned in a hadith, لا يمسكن أحدكم ذكره بيمينه وهو يبول ولا يتمسح من الخلاء بيمينه ولا يتنفس في الإناء. There is a hadith, even though there may be some uh, speech regarding it, but there are uh, backing up evidences for these narrations. The hadith mentions that none of you is to touch his frontal private area uh, when he is urinating with his right hand. None of you is to touch your frontal private area with your right hand when urinating and neither are you to wipe it afterwards with your right hand. So two things are mentioned there specifically regarding the etiquettes and, that, and they are that when you finish using the toilet, finish relieving yourself, that when you are actually in the process of relieving yourself, you do not touch your private areas with your right hand. Because sometimes maybe a person needs to touch that area, uh, perhaps the way he is sitting or something, and he fears the urine may go splash in areas, so he touches that area to maintain the urine in a certain direction, for example. So the hadith says, whilst in the process of urinating, then you do not touch the frontal area with your right hand. If you must, then it is with your left hand. And after you finish and you now need to clean that area, whether it is the frontal area or the rear area, after you've answered the call of nature, urination or defecation, that it is not with the right hand. You clean yourself with the left hand. You clean yourself frontal or from the rear with your left hand. So that is two, or those are two of the main etiquettes being mentioned in this particular narration 
The right hand is not to be used, but the left hand is used during the process and in the after cleaning process also. In the hadith, there's an extra point of benefit which mentions not breathing into your uh, drinks. Not breathing in to your drinks. That's mentioned in this hadith and the scholars have said the prohibition, it may be there uh, due to the saliva or spittle of a person going into that drink when you breathe into it and so it's not something suitable for the people to witness and maybe even yourself if you are sitting and breathing into it and your spittle or you uh, your, your, your saliva goes into it then even yourself you may not want to drink the rest of it so this is mentioned by the scholars you are not supposed to breathe uh, into your drinking vessel with your liquid in there and some of the scholars like Sheikh Al-Fawzan have mentioned that there can be an exception where there is some necessity like for example if you had a hot drink and you require to cool it quickly and there's no other way that you could blow into it to cool it and that is mentioned by some scholars like Sheikh Al-Fawzan but the point here was from the etiquettes of using the toilet that you don't use your right hand. That's for men and women. This is for men and women. That you do not use your right hand in cleaning yourself, whether it is from the urine, or whether it is from the defecation that has occurred. It is with the left hand that both areas, both sides are cleaned with. And that is because the right hand, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ tayamun. The Prophet ﷺ used to love to do things with the right side first. The right hand, the good things with the right hand. And that's why the scholars, that discussion regarding the watch. Should a Muslim wear the watch on the left hand or on the right hand? Should you wear your watch on the left hand or the right hand? Some of the scholars, they said it's not a big deal. There's no sunnah about it. There's no sunnah about it, whether you have to wear it on your right or your left. But some of them, like a Shaykh al-Albani, he used this type of narration. He said the left hand is for the uncleanliness, the, the, when you need to clean something and after using the toilet, the left hand is used for those types of things. And the right hand is used for the good things. And so your watch, it falls into the category of the good things. So that should go onto your right hand. And that's just an ishtihad and an opinion of the Shaykh. But the etiquette is clear there. Left hand for cleaning yourself, not the right hand. Then also we have the hadith. In this hadith, the Prophet said, be warned of the two accursed ones or the two actions that get you the curse one of them is defecating or using your the toilet answering the call of nature in the pathway of the people and the other is doing it in the places of shadows of course here now in this country the people will not really understand these affairs but for those who 
as they say, go back home, and you see the affairs are as they are, and maybe even back home, as you say. These days, Allah Alam, with the development and modernization of things, but certainly 20 years ago, 30 years ago, in certain places, even now when you go to Hajj and Umrah in certain areas, you may not find an actual toilet cubicle. So you have to go out in the wilderness, find some secluded area to relieve yourself and find some stones to clean yourself. That occurs. So this narration is in that context when you need to find some area, some secluded area to relieve yourself. Then you should not go and do that in the main walkway of the people. For obvious reasons, you're going to harm the people. The main walkway, the main pathway, you do it there, then when the people come the next day, that is a clear harm for them that you have created on the main walkway and the main pathway of the people and the main roadway of the people. And similarly, neither are you to do it under an area of shade. Because particularly in those kinds of places where it's desert and hot, then people need the natural places of shade to go and get shade. So if you go and relieve yourself in that area, now you have wiped off that location for people to get shade under. Nobody can go and get shade under that area now that you have used for your purposes of answering the call of nature. So the hadith forbids that. It is a harm upon the people to go under that type of bush or wall or whatever it is, where there's a shade for the people. And the scholars have mentioned the opposite is also true. What's the opposite? Bonus point to anybody who can work out the opposite. Hadith says, do not go and pick a secluded area in an area that's shaded. It's naturally shaded. Because those naturally shaded areas are rare in hot countries. People need them to go and get shade under. So don't use that. Leave that area clean. What's the opposite the scholar said also is prohibited? Think about exactly this example of the shade. Unshaded then where are you going to go? You have to hold it in everywhere. Huh? No, about the shade, about the shade specifically. If you are in the middle of just a flat desert land where there's nothing around you at all. But what, the shade and the sun. Here you're prohibited from going into a place where there is shade. Because the people need the place where there is shade. The scholars, they said, if you lived in a country that is opposite to that, you live in a freezing country then the areas that are open areas where the sun naturally beats down on, that's where people need warmth. So now in that kind of situation, you would be prohibited from defecating or using that area where the sun naturally strikes down on, and it's a place people might stop to get some warmth. Then that area is prohibited as well for the same reasoning. It's an area that people require and need to gain some benefit from. And as they say, I remember one time we went to Hajj with the university students. They, they used to take the packages from Medina University. They took us one year and we finished Hajj, everything. 
on the coach in Mecca coming back. Just as we were exiting Mecca, all of Hajj done, finished. Exiting Mecca, the coach stopped for a small pit stop in Mecca. Just where Sheikh bin Baz's masjid is, where he used to teach. Stop there for a quick pit stop, get drinks or whatever it was. One of the brothers who was on the coach with us needed to answer the call of nature. And uh, where we had stopped, there was no facilities anywhere, just some area of Mecca, a couple of shops, but no facilities. So he had to just go out onto the side of the road somewhere and find a secluded area and deal with things as they say. Uh, Find some rocks, some stone, maybe he had some tissue with him. So he went out to the side of the coach, just slightly further down the road, and he did what he had to do, came back to the coach, and when he came back to the coach, his slippers, his sandals, nice sandals, like these uh, uh, Timberland or Rockport sandals, he came back barefoot. We said to him, where have you left your sandals? You went there to relieve yourself with your sandals? You've come back onto the coach without your sandals. How have you forgotten your sandals? He said, I found a spot, a secluded spot, very secluded, perfect in accordance to the sunnah. We're going to get to that now. You're supposed to find a secluded area where no one can see you. He said, I found a perfect secluded area, but it was too perfect. (laughs) Somebody had already found it before me, obviously. (laughs) Hence, when he finished and returned, his sandals could not come back with him. So the point here is that you are not supposed to use the main pathway and the roadway of the people, neither in the shaded areas. That's two places. There are further places mentioned in the sunnah you're not supposed to use. Uh, from amongst them, from amongst the places is al-mawarid. Al-Mawarid, they are places where people pick up water from, water sources. You may have like a, a pond or some small collection of water, a source of water. Maybe the animals go and drink from it. Maybe the people, they go and pick up their water from it. It could be like some small stream area, some small river area, some small pond kind of area, could be like a well where the water is picked out from, those kinds of water source areas, then you are not supposed to go and use those areas to answer the call of nature upon. And again, it's for clear and obvious reasons. You are going to harm the people who go there and collect water from there. Maybe uh, they go and wash their clothes there. Maybe they do other things with that pond or or small lake of water so for you to go and use that area surrounding that lake or pond to answer the call of nature you're harming the people again and their usage of that area the fourth place where you are not supposed to do so is under trees that bear fruits under trees that bear fruits that people benefit from because obviously the people they need to uh, pick those fruits from those trees and if a person has used the area at the bottom of the tree to answer the call of nature then again that puts a bad type of feeling to that tree now and to the 
fruits on that tree and the bottom of it, people have been answering the call of nature at the trunk at the bottom. So this is also prohibited at the places of trees that bear fruits, then you do not do it there. Neither naqulma, which is similar to the mawarid, the areas of water uh, where people may go to collect water and to uh, drink from that water. And a Sheikh Al-Fawzan says, for those kinds of areas where there is water, then you do not do it there. Clearly it will put a bad feeling into the people that they are collecting water from here and somebody has defecated next to it. But on top of that, the Sheikh mentions uh, in terms of uh, medicine, in terms of health, health-wise, in terms of health-wise, that it would not be appropriate for someone to go and use that area where there's water and people collect that water for you to go and defecate in that area. That if you go to that area where there is stagnant water and you end up defecating in those affairs in that area, that it could lead to uh, germs and other types of uh, impurities and germs building in that area and diseases building in that water so that the water is not safe to drink anymore and a person may become ill from that and the disease may spread from that water then as a consequence of people defecating and urinating around that water. And that's already been mentioned in the chapter of purification about how somebody is not allowed to dip themselves into stagnant water to make ghusl. The sixth location is on river banks. And that's for the similar kind of reasoning. On river banks, people are going to go to the edge of the river bank to collect water, to wash their garments, to do other things. So if the river banks have been used by people to answer the call of nature, then again, you're creating a harm for the people and their ability to use that water. So those are locations where it is impermissible for a person to answer the call of nature. Then, some more rulings. إِذَا تَغَوَّطَ الرَّجُلَانِ فَلْيَتَوَارَ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مِّنْهُمَا عَنْ صَحِبِهِ وَلَا يَتَحَدَّثَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَمْقُتُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ That if two men, and the hadith, like we said, the principle is, it doesn't necessitate that it's only talking about men. Men has been mentioned in the narration, but the ruling is applicable to all. So the ruling is applicable broadly, that if two people, they go to answer the call of nature, then they have to conceal themselves one from another. They have to hide themselves one from another. And this therefore means these urinals, these public toilets that they have, where the men, they stand next to each other in the public urinals, would therefore be impermissible to use. You are not concealing yourself, you are not covering yourself, impermissible to stand there and the other one stood next to you. 
It is in this hadith, فَلْيَتَوَارَ كُلُّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمَا That each person needs to conceal himself. In fact, the Arabic word for defecation as we are translating in Arabic, they say الغائط. الغائط. Huh? Al-Ghaiq means Al-Makan Al-Munkhafid An area that is dipped A lower ground area Because if you have the ground And then there's a dip Under the ground in the distance If somebody goes into that dip Can you now see them? Hidden So Al-Ghaiq is from that meaning To go hidden into some area Lower down where you cannot be seen and al-khala, that means seclusion. Somewhere where you are secluded. So this is from the sunnah, that you isolate yourself, seclude yourself, hide yourself when answering the call of nature. Nobody should be able to see you, uh, to see you in the actual action of doing so. It's possible in the olden days, if they went into lower ground, that your head may still be visible. It's possible your head may have still been visible, but as you crouch, etc., you cannot actually be seen doing anything. But perhaps your head may still be uh, popping above, it may still be visible. There's even a narration, they mentioned one time the Prophet was visible, but obviously nothing else was visible, but his head or, or something of that nature was visible, such that somebody saw him and gave him salah. But the Prophet wasallam didn't reply because of this hadith it carries on and says cover yourselves hide yourselves do not look at each other so you cannot see each other and do not talk to each other and they are not to speak when you're in the toilets you do not speak to anyone you do not shout from the toilet and talk to someone or in the next cubicle and talk to someone they are not to speak the hadith says, وَلَا يَتَحَدَّثَا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يَمْقُتُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ For indeed Allah is severely angered at that action. A lot of these narrations, they do have some speech regarding their chains of narration, but the meanings overall and the shawahid, the other supporting narrations do back up these general meanings. So you are supposed to conceal yourself, you are supposed to not talk when you're in the toilet, not shout out to anyone, talk to anyone, or if somebody else is in the toilet, don't talk to them. You don't just talk to them and ask them, where's this, where's that, what's this, what's that. Allow them to finish and come out. And then it also mentions the hadith about the direction. لَقَدْ نَهَانَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم أن نستقبل القبلة بغائط أو بول أو أن نستنجي باليمين أو أن نستنجي بأقل من ثلاثة أحجار أو أن نستنجي برجيع أو عظم رواه مسلم In this hadith it now mentions that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم forbade us to face the direction of the qibla when relieving ourselves. So when you're sitting, crouching, relieving yourself, you should not be facing the direction of the Qibla. And in the other narration also it mentioned, neither should you be 180 so that your back is directly in the direction of the Qibla. 
Rather you should be to the right or to the left. The issue here then is, if you go home now, after this lesson, and you get your phone compass out, your iPhone compass or whatever, you go to your bathroom just to check, and you realize that the toilet is facing the Qibla, or that it's exactly 180 to the back of the Qibla, what are you going to do now? Huh? Sit on the side of the toilet? It's allowed inside the wall. Uh, if it's got a wall, the ulama says uh, it's allowed because the So, in that kind of situation, if your house now, the toilet is facing the direction of the qibla, so when you're using the toilet, you are facing the direction of the qibla, or if it happens to be exactly the other way and pretty much your back is at the direction of the Qibla, then you could argue, and it could be argued, that there's a problem here. Because the hadith says, don't face those directions, or your back to that direction, when using the toilet. So there would be a problem. But, some of the scholars have mentioned, that the hadith, it was more, more in the context, of open ground because obviously these narrations are in the context mostly of the open ground where you go and find a secluded area and you answer the call of nature so there you're going to be in some type of open ground land you go behind a bush you go somewhere but it's open ground so now the scholars they say the narration is about the open ground outside when you find a secluded area and you crouch don't crouch out in the open ground with your face towards the Qibla, neither with your back towards the Qibla, because in open ground you can sit and crouch in any direction you want. So don't face the Qibla, don't put your back to the Qibla, either to the side or to the side. But they say, if there is a ha'il, there is an obstacle, some type of obstacle between you and the direction of the Qibla. And in that case, as Shaykh al-Fawzan mentions, others they mention, that the ruling would be excused there. It is not considered you facing the Qibla, or your back to the Qibla now, if there is an obstacle. Because there are some narrations, where it is mentioned, that they faced, or their back towards it, but how? When there was an obstacle. So in your homes, obviously, you're in the room, the bathroom, with your walls. The walls are an obstacle all the way around you. So even if the toilet was facing that way, or completely the opposite way, you could sit on that and answer the call of nature, because there is an obstacle around you to the direction of the Qibla, as opposed to when you are out on open ground, and you find a secluded area somewhere, it's open ground. There is no obstacle, proper obstacle between you and the direction of the Qibla. So many of the scholars, they say that within homes, within the walls, it would not be the same ruling and it would be excused. And then, yameen. Uh, we've already mentioned that, that he says we were prohibited from cleaning ourselves with the right hand, and this is cleaning yourself with water. 
As for istijmar, it mentions now, that we were prohibited from cleaning ourselves with less than three stones. With less than three stones. So when you are out in the open, you find a secluded area, you answer the call of nature, then you must clean yourself afterwards with your left hand with a minimum of three stones this hadith mentions. Three stones. The scholars have mentioned, the fuqaha, that it could be allowed to use just one stone as long as it has its big enough surface that you can wipe yourself three times. One side of it, wipe yourself, then you can hold it from somewhere else. Another clean side, wipe yourself. You can hold it from somewhere else. There's another clean surface. You can get three clean wipes out of it. Then that one rock would have the same ruling as three separate rocks. The point is three cleansing wipes. Three cleaning wipes. So you cannot just wipe yourself once. It should be at least three wipes. And then after that, as many as are required. Perhaps a person is not clean after three wipes. So then more than that, and you should keep to the odd number, then five wipes or seven wipes or nine wipes, to the number that is required until that area is cleansed. But these days now, of course, with the advent of the toilet roll, then is toilet roll allowed instead of stones? It's allowed. Toilet roll is allowed. It is better and preferable always to do the purification with water. That is better to do it with water and that will bring about a greater level of cleanliness in the area. With tissue and toilet roll, a person could use that and perhaps they could dab it with some water. You could perhaps dab it with some water and then use that tissue, that toilet roll. Uh, take a, a small bunch, put some water on it, use it. Take another small bunch, put some water on it and use it. And that would be the equivalent of what is being mentioned in these hadith. And that would bring about the cleanliness in the area. And the scholars they mention, what if a person keeps wiping and wiping and wiping, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, 19, and even on the 19th one you still see a little bit. Eventually the scholars, they say after you've wiped and wiped, then the tiny faint mark that you may see, thereafter you are excused from that, the tiny mark that you perhaps still see after so many wipes, the tiny faint mark, which is not in reality now anything of substance, if that continues, perhaps sometimes it may occur for a person, then eventually if that is still occurring, a faint, faint mark at the end, after multiple wipings, and that faint mark continues, then that is excused in the end. But that is the purpose here, the three stones minimum, i.e. three wipes, three clean wipes, 
as a minimum. Oh, with the left hand. Not with the right hand, with the left hand. And also there are some narrations about, for the men, about uh, squeezing, for want of a better term, the front private area as you wash it to, to take out any uh, remaining urine. There is a narration, but it is weak. And so it cannot be said, it cannot be said that it's a sunnah, that you have to squeeze out the area when you're washing it in order to remove any leftover urine within the tract. It cannot be said that's a sunnah that you have to do. There's a narration, but it is not established. However, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan says, maybe some people, the way their biology is, if that's what you need to do, because you know otherwise there are definitely drops, etc. that occur, and you need to do that, then it's permissible for that need and necessity. But if you don't have any need or necessity, you just wash the area without having to squeeze through that area, then it is better that you do that. If somebody purposely squeezes through the area every time in washing, believing that gives you better cleanliness, even though they don't need to do that, Ibn Taymiyyah even said it would be considered a bid'ah. Because the narration isn't established, and if you're just doing it, believing it's better, a better purification, a better this, a better that, then you're doing it as an act of worship. And it is not established. So Sheikh Fawzan said that is only if you know yourself and you require that. That's something you know of yourself you need to do. Otherwise, there are problems for you. Then okay, you could do that. But otherwise, it is not an established and required sunnah to be done. It is simply to wash that area with the water. And then it mentions, أَوْ أَنَّسْتَنْجِيَ بِرَجِيعٍ أَوْ عَظْمٍ Again, talking about the uh, outer, uh, outside areas when you find somewhere secluded and then you're going to clean yourself, you would find rocks and stones. You would find some rocks or stones to do that with. And the hadith says you cannot use though, you cannot use dried dung. Like uh, cows and other animals when they relieve themselves, that dung it dries up in the sun and it becomes like a, like a stone, becomes a solid entity. That you cannot use. You cannot use the dried solid dung in place of a stone to clean yourself. And neither can you use any bones that you may find. Any bones that you might find, you cannot use those either. And some of the scholars have mentioned some reasons as to why that might be the case. One of them is, it's mentioned that it is the food of the jinn or the animals of the jinn. And also other scholars have mentioned because those types of items would not give you the reality of cleanliness as a stone and the solidity, the solid nature of a stone does compared to the way that dried dung is or even perhaps a bone. So they are not to be used and that is in the narration, but the stones are to be used. And perhaps uh, uh, for many of the people here, the Masakin who have been born and lived with the flushing all of their lives, don't know the reality of these affairs. But for the elders here, uh, I'm sure they are well aware of the rulings and what is being mentioned and how these practices occur. And then, 
Then, when you have completed all of the affairs, and now you're going to exit. Upon exiting from the toilet or the bathroom, then you say, غُفْرَانَكَ Which is like saying, أَسْتَغْفِرُكَ When you exit the bathroom, then you say, غُفْرَانَكَ Oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness. But why would that be the appropriate dua for a person to read upon exiting from the bathroom? Because, huh? who said it? Time wasted, how is it wasted? Because it's not allowed to do the remembrance of Allah when you're in the toilet. Outside of the toilet, the Prophet ﷺ would constantly be upon the remembrance of Allah. But in the toilet, you're not allowed to be upon the doing the remembrance of Allah yourself physically. You're not supposed to be doing that in the toilet. So that time that you're in the toilet, you have to stop your remembrance of Allah. So when you exit, then it's as though you are seeking forgiveness from Allah for the time that you had to break off from the remembrance of Allah. That is perhaps one of the explanations of that. And uh, some of the scholars have said another explanation to it could be that you are seeking forgiveness from Allah for your shortcoming in not being able to do that remembrance. But also as a general concept, you are seeking forgiveness from Allah in now remembering Allah, remembering your shortcomings and remembering the blessings of Allah upon you that you were able to relieve yourself, that in and of itself is a blessing from Allah upon you, that you digest your food and then you are able to relieve yourself of that. And if you were not, then there would be medical problems for an individual. So perhaps the scholar said, that is one of the reasons you come out and you are seeking forgiveness from Allah, for this blessing Allah has given you, but you are so short in your uh, uh, obedience and worship and your shortcomings and your deficiencies. So you seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also. One of the other benefits in this chapter, one of the other benefits in this chapter, all of these narrations they highlight, or some of these narrations, they highlight examples of the etiquettes of answering the call of nature by giving examples of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Meaning he would answer the call of nature, meaning therefore, as a point of aqidah, from these narrations, a point of aqidah, if he had to answer the call of nature, then he was also a servant of Allah, a human like us. He was a servant of Allah that had these types of needs also, had to answer the call of nature also. And so this has an aqidah point in it even. A refutation of the people who exaggerate, saying he was made out of light, and that when he walked, therefore, he had no shadow, because he was made out of light, light goes through light. So all of this exaggeration they fall into, these narrations highlight an angle of aqidah, that the messenger is Abdullah, he is the servant of Allah, and he was a bashar, he ate, he drank, he answered the call of nature, and the final thing to mention in this chapter is regarding the necessity 
of cleansing yourself and cleaning yourself properly after using the toilet. And that is because of the hadith, مَرَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ بِقَبَرَيْنَ فَقَالَ إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانِ وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ أَلَا وَهُوَ كَبِيرٍ أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا فَكَانَ يَمْشِي بِالنَّمِيمَةِ وَأَمَّا الْآخَرِ فَكَانَ لَا يَسْتَنْزِهُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ The Prophet وسلم, he walked by two graves and he said these two are being punished in their graves not for something big as they thought but indeed in reality it was something big as for one of them he used to go around carrying tails between people carrying tails between people he said this and he said that and he did this and he did that carrying stories between people to cause corruption and that is one of the greatest forms of corruption that a person narrates from one to another, another to another. He said this and he said that and he did this and he did that. <coughs> Narrating these stories between the people to cause corruption. As Shaykh Al-Fawzan said, the Namam, the one who carries tales, causes more corruption in an hour than a magician does in a year. Because the level of corruption a namam causes, the storyteller, the tale carrier, going to one person, I heard him, he was saying this, he was saying that, and he said this and he said that. Corruption causes corruption between the people. Corruption between the hearts of the people. So he causes more corruption in a small period of time, an hour or so, than a magician would do in a whole year in terms of the level of corruption in community and society between people and their hearts. And the second person the messenger mentioned was being punished in his grave was the one, كَانَ لَا يَسْتَتِرُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ In the other riwayah, كَانَ لَا يَسْتَنْزِهُ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ That either he never used to cover himself up when urinating, like we mentioned, those urinals, the communal urinals, impermissible, have to cover yourself, conceal yourself, he never used to conceal himself when urinating. Or the other narration, He never used to look after himself when urinating. And so the splashes would go everywhere, the impurity would go everywhere, he wouldn't look after himself when urinating, and so he was being punished in the grave too. And then it mentions that the messenger did what? He put two leaves or plants into the grave and he said as long as they remain fresh then it is hoped that the punishment will be relieved from them so now the people when they go to the graves they put plants or big leaves green leaves believing that as long as they remain green eventually obviously they, they die but a day two days three days maybe big ones a week they might last before they scrunch up and die. They go put those on the graves, saying that as long as these are there, the inhabitants of these graves will be saved from the punishment of the grave. Is that a correct action to do? The messenger did it. The messenger did it. Why is it specific to him? The rule is what the messenger does is for us too. 
Unless you have some evidence it was specific. So that's one. The messenger through revelation, he knew that they were being punished. You go put the leaves on the graves of these people only assuming the worst that they are being punished. Perhaps they are in blessing. You do not know what is occurring. That was specific to the messenger. It is not a sunnah to put leaves and flowers and other greenery and vegetation onto the graves, believing this takes away the punishment of the grave. That was specific to the messenger. He knew they were being punished. And on top of that, if it was a sunnah, who would have been the first of the people to go around and put this on all of the graves? In Baqir and everywhere. The Sahaba would have done it. Not a single one of them ever did that. They would have been the first of the people to try and protect themselves and their beloved ones and their companions from the punishment of the grave. So this was a specific action to the messenger. But the point here was, urinating, not looking after yourself, getting splashes everywhere, is one of the reasons for the punishment of the grave. That's why even men, when men use the toilet, you are supposed to use it sitting down at all times. Whether it is urinating, and obviously when it is defecating, but even when urinating, the man is supposed to sit and urinate, not stand. It is not from the sunnah to stand. It is permissible where required. But it's not the sunnah to stand. The sunnah is to sit, to uh, look after yourself and where the splashes go. If you stand... And the way these toilets are designed now as well, everything splashes right back. If you stand, it is incorrect and that is wrong. The men are supposed to sit also when urinating in order to minimize and to keep the cleanliness of themselves and their garments, etc. So those are some of the main rulings in regards to using the bathroom, in regards to... Uh, answering the call of nature and we've covered all of the points that were mentioned there in the notes at the start any questions on that then you wouldn't be able to say that if a baby you're changing the nappy of the baby and the baby has that uh, uh, he's uh, answered the call of nature in the nappy. You couldn't say that your living room now, for that moment of time, for that couple of minutes, takes the ruling of the toilet or the bathroom. It's not the same thing. The toilet or the bathroom is a permanent area that is used for that purpose. Or even when they used to go out to that secluded area, that secluded area is being used for that purpose only. Your living room is used for some completely different purpose. This is only temporary that it's occurred from the baby. And on top of that, with the baby, the rulings, as we mentioned, it's not as severe. It's not always as severe with the urine, for example, of the baby boy that isn't eating yet. But you wouldn't be able to say that the rulings now apply to that living room or that kitchen or wherever you are. All these rulings of the bathroom or the toilet, anyone entering, exiting, etc., you wouldn't be able to apply those to your living room for that circumstance. And, uh, Afwan, uh, what, you have to use your left hand to clean your baby as well. You should, do, you should do same kind of ruling there. You should use still the left hand to clean the baby. And there's a, uh, 
somewhat of a difference between the scholars as to whether your wudu breaks. Because when you clean the baby, you're going to touch the private areas of that baby. Does your wudu break touching the private areas of the baby? Some of the scholars have said no. That for a mother who is going to do that multiple times during the day, it would be haraj upon the mother. It would be something uh, difficult and a burden and complicated upon the mother for us to say that the ruling is every time you change the nappy of the baby and therefore have to touch the private areas of that baby, your wudu breaks. So some scholars have said, no, that's an exception. She can clean that, wash that area of the baby. Her wudu doesn't break. But other scholars have said that the wudu breaks because there is one opinion that touching the private areas, your own private areas even, breaks your wudu. That's an opinion of some of the scholars. And we'll get to that in the chapter regarding the wudu later. That, so in your homes, for example, the room where the toilet is in, and it could be just the toilet and a sink, or it may be the toilet and the sink and the shower and the bath, that bathroom, that toilet room is going to be considered the area. That whole room is going to be considered the area. You could not say that if I put the toilet seat down, that you can then recite Quran in there, for example. That room would be considered now as the toilet area. That's where you seclude yourself inside. You close the door and you seclude yourself in there. That is your area now for relieving yourself. Okay, there's a shower next to you and there's a, a sink next to you. But that area now is your seclude. That's your khala. That is your seclusion area to do your uh, uh, answering the call of nature in. So that would take the ruling of it all. But these bigger areas, like in the haramain, etc., the bigger, they are huge areas corridors and you're walking down them and everything and then the cubicles are on the side in those kinds of circumstances perhaps Allah Alam only the cubicle is considered that area and walking outside around and about that huge area maybe isn't given the same ruling but in your homes that small bathroom is going to be the khala that's going to be the secluded area where the rulings apply If it's in that area, in that toilet area, then Allah Alam, it would appear to be that this is the khala'ah, so you should not be doing any type of remembrance in that area. Because that's the way it is now, it's, you know, in the olden days, even in the UK here, used to have the toilets outside in the backyard, go outside in the freezing night and open the, the, the shed door and your toilet's there. But now that room is your toilet room, that is your khala'ah. So whether you're going in there to wash your hands, or you're going in there to have a shower, you are in the khala as it appears. So you should not do remembrance in there. Who else doesn't know? No, not necessarily. These du'as are specific to the answering of the call of nature. Uh, so you wouldn't specifically have to do that, but the du'as that are for the entering of the khala, you could still do them. If we're saying that this khala or this bathroom is the khala area, 
So then you could still make that dua, you are going into that same area, the entrance dua. But like for example, ghufranak, that's only applicable upon answering the call of nature. Brushing your teeth isn't applicable to that. Well, there's nothing much you can do unless you're going to put some bell in there or something. <laughs> so the child, he shouts that he's finished. That's okay. I mean, the child, the pen is lifted from the child anyway. So a young child, he shouts from the bathroom that he's finished, then it's not a major issue here. The pen is lifted from the child anyway. You would be able to answer that. Uh, it is not really possible to do anything else. You can't organize some other system of knocking or something. But that's it. That's it for a child. It's not a big problem, inshallah. And therefore, I see the aura of a kid. Of a small child, not that I'm aware of. Allah Of a small child, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, just to take them to the toilet. I'm not aware that there's any restrictions upon a child of that age. That any person wouldn't, I mean, a, a one-year-old, a two-year-old. It, there's no ruling as such. I'm not aware Allah alam of any restrictions to that. To stop? No, if you see evident marks, then that's not what's worse. Evident marks, you can still see after the third wiping that there was still clearly quite, you know, there was something there, substantial then you know it's not clean yet. Then you do a fourth and a fifth, and now if you see, when you see, when you do a wipe and you see that's it, there's nothing there, then you know you're done. But when you've done a wipe and there was still something significant there, then you would do another one, and you would do another one until then you see, khalas, there's nothing else coming now, it's clean, then you know. But if there are evident marks, then that's not waswas. You continue until there are no marks. When you do the wipe and it's clean, then you know it's finished. Uh, the phone, it's, it's concealed. The phone itself is concealed. You open your phone, you open a million things and you're not going to see the Qur'an anywhere. It's concealed within it. So if your phone was in the pocket, it wouldn't be a problem. It, it, the ruling there isn't haram. The scholars, they say it's makruh to take in remembrance. But the phone, the way that the phones are designed and this technology is, it's not anywhere visible at all. It is completely within the phone. If that was in your pocket, it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be like the same as a clear mushaf now that is in your pocket or something. The phone, all this digital within it somewhere, it's completely hidden and concealed anyway. If a person is left-handed, then they still have to eat and do all of the things of the sunnah with their right hand. If you are left-handed, you still have to eat with your right hand. You eat with your right hand, you still do all of the things with your right hand. And the left hand is used for the uh, impurities. It's still the same ruling. 
you still use your right hand for everything and uh, 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 you become ambidextrous but that's how it is you do not swap over the rulings if you are naturally left handed the left hand is used for those purposes the right hand is used for those purposes regardless of whether you are naturally left handed or not you still eat with your right hand and do the good things with your right hand Now we'll get to it in the wudu section because some of the scholars, I think it's the Hanbalis, their opinion is that you have to say Bismillah when starting the wudu and if you don't, no wudu. But the majority of the scholars, the Jumhur, they say saying Bismillah at the beginning is only mustahab. But So we'll get to that question in that topic. Because obviously here you make your wudu in that sink and the toilet is there, it's the khala as we're saying. And can you say bismillah in there or not? There are some fatwas of the scholars. We'll get to that uh, when we get to the section inshallah. You don't need to feel like it, you know it. Yeah, you don't, yeah. Yeah, I mean, public toilets, the reality is, unless you go in at a time with the cleaner is just walking out, then otherwise you know the reality of public toilets. So, uh, 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 either you have to clean it yourself, either you're going to clean it yourself with the tissues and things and pour the water on it and clean it so you can sit, or if you have to in that necessity situation, you can clearly see it's impure. Clearly you can see it's impure and there's no other option that you have to use it. Then you can stand. It is permissible to stand. It's not haram to stand. So if there was a necessity like that type of situation, it's impure. You can see it's impure. There's no way to clean it. There's no way to go anywhere else. You have to stand. You have to stand. You have to just be very careful. We used to, you know, in, in Saudi Arabia, sorry, when we used to go to uh, between Umrah, between Medina and Mecca, for those who have been, it's like uh, uh, 200 miles, 250 miles. You stop at the services on the way. Now the services, alhamdulillah, they're all newly built. But the old ones in the olden days, you used to stop at some of these services. And uh, if you happen to be in that situation, regrettably, where you have to answer the call of nature at the services on the way, you used to go in sometimes to those toilets, and these are toilets that are like deserted. In the middle of the desert, there's like one person who works in that services, deserted area, deserted toilets. Nobody's been in there maybe for the last three months. You go into that toilet and sometimes you would go in there and you're about to use the toilet and a cockroach the size of your hand starts crawling out from the toilet. But uh, you have to do what you have to do. You're saying? Uh, well, in these narrations, we didn't uh, go into the details of all of those things. You are supposed to be upon preparation. In some of these narrations, it mentions how the messenger said to Anas, bring some stones, bring some water. You are supposed to be upon some level of preparation. You know, sometimes it might be an emergency situation, you could do nothing. But if you know you're going to be traveling, you know you're going to be uh, out somewhere, you're supposed to go prepared. Take something with you these days. Take the tissue and take some water and take some affairs with you so that when that situation arises, you are prepared. In the Sunnah, it mentions how the messenger would be prepared for that type of situation if he went out. 
And he would tell them to bring some stones or bring some water so that he would have something in that circumstance, he wouldn't be left with nothing. So you should try, obviously, to have something prepared, but like in the religion with anything, if you are in some circumstance and in some situation, you're in the desert, you have to, right there and then, then what other choice do you have? You have to use whatever you have to use. That's a, that's, those kinds of, they say, nawadir la hukma laha. These extreme circumstances, there is no ruling for them. So that type of extreme circumstance in the middle of the desert, you have no stones or nothing, there's nothing you can see anywhere. Barren desert. So the only thing you're going to be able to use is the sand. So that's the extreme situation, there's no ruling for that, you have to do what you have to do. How do you clean? Front side is supposed to be al-istinja. It is better to do al-istinja, the water. But it's permissible to use the stone to clean that area, to wipe off all of the urine if you had to do that. But with the frontal area, it is better. And what you're supposed to do is al-istinja, using the water. Even with the, uh, the rear, the istinja, the water is better. The asal of purification we mentioned is water. So even if you're using tissue papers, you should wet the tissue papers. If you're not able to do anything else, at least wet the tissue papers so you have some water in there as well. Anybody else? You know, all of these questions, they come down to that one fiqh ruling of whether we are saying that area is the khala'ah. If you put the fiqh ruling of that bathroom, that toilet being the khala, the area where you answer the call of nature, then all of the fiqh would apply to it. That you don't answer back and you don't do this and you don't do that. But then it just depends on this, you know, what people are asking now, if you're doing a shower only or if you're brushing your teeth only. Perhaps we can look in to see if the scholars have given any differentiation or distinction between these modern day bathrooms or whether they just say that is the khala. If they say that is the khala, which appears to be the case, that's where you seclude yourself, you close your door, then all of the rulings would apply then. You wouldn't be able to do any of the things that you're not supposed to do in any other khala area. But perhaps we can look into that further. No, khalas, that's like we said, for a child, if you're there, if you're teaching them, for example, clean yourself and this and that, Khalas, you have to teach a child, and the child, the pen is lifted from them anyway. Hmm. Alright, we'll leave it up on that for today then. Inshallah ta'ala, the next chapter, let's have a look. The next chapter is about purification of impurities, and then wudu. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.